Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 134 for December 22nd, 2011. Now, today it's a little bit different topic. Instead of strictly talking lean per se, we're going to be talking about some broader issues of healthcare quality and the United States military. So joining me are Daniel Sullivan, President and General Manager of the Sergeant Thomas Joseph Sullivan Center, a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to improving health for current and former military personnel, including um, Daniel's brother, uh, a fallen Marine, um, Sergeant Thomas Joseph Sullivan, who the center is named after. Um, so Daniel's going to be talking about um, his story and what they're trying to do to improve the system and processes for um, our military. Also joining us is Gregory Jacobson, MD. He's a college friend of Daniel's, and I work with Greg because um, he's the co-founder and CEO of a startup, Kinexus. So I hope you'll take a listen, and uh, hopefully you'll find this, um, I think, an interesting and an important topic. Um, if you go to leanblog.org slash 134, um, you can get all sorts of links to their website and links to more information. So as always, thanks for listening, and happy holidays. Well, I want to thank both of our guests for joining us here on the podcast today. Dan Sullivan, thanks for taking time to talk. Uh, hi, Mark. Thanks for uh, having me on the uh, podcast. It's great to be here. Sure thing. And Greg Jacobson, thanks for joining us on the podcast as well. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to this. So, Dan, if you could start off um, introducing yourself to the listeners, the Sergeant Sullivan Center, and you know, in, in doing so, of course, then naturally um, telling your brother's story for the listeners. Sure thing. Um, my name is Dan Sullivan. I'm the uh, president, uh, the executive director of the Sergeant Thomas Joseph Sullivan Center, uh, which is a not-for-profit organization uh, that was founded in memory of my brother, uh, Tom Sullivan. And um, I guess you could say uh, the journey towards developing this organization began about three years ago um, in February 2009, on February 16th. Uh, and that was the day that I went to my brother's home in Virginia and found him uh, deceased um, in his chair. And uh, this, he had, he had uh, died uh, to some degree unexpectedly after suffering from a uh, long and unexplained illness with symptoms that began while he was deployed in the most uh, recent Iraq war. Um, we never really knew or understood what was causing his health problems. We, we weren't sure of the severity of them, but they did seem to be um, increasing um, uh, and in, in become increasingly disabling as the years went by after he returned from theater in uh, 2005. He had uh, chronic pain, that uh, source of which, which was never really explained, acute indeterminate colitis, um, just terrible fatigue. Uh, things that just uh, didn't really make sense for someone at his age. He had really high blood pressure, um, whole body edema, and basic swelling issues. Um, the thing that uh, struck struck me as um, as I saw him on that day um, was that right next to him in the chair that he that he passed away in was a backpack, um, and in that backpack were his medical records. Um, stacks and stacks of medical records because he had a doctor's appointment that day. Um, and he used to take his medical records to his, to his doctor's appointments. 
because he was on a desperate quest to try to find out what was wrong with him. And he was trying to get his, his physicians to see the whole picture. And that's what he carried around with him in that bag, that the, those records that he hoped some, some doctor, one of his doctors would be able to look through those records and say, oh, here's the puzzle. I'm, I can solve the puzzle. Here's what's, here's what's wrong. But the fact of the matter is, is that while he was suffering through all of these um, mysterious health problems, None of his, uh, none of his doctors, none of the tests that were run, uh, nobody could nobody could identify a cause. Nobody could develop an effective treatment as much as uh, people in the military medical um, establishment tried. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. And how how old was your brother Tom when he passed away? He was thirty. He was thirty years old. He was actually a few months after his thirtieth uh, birthday um, that he passed away. And so, boy, I mean, it's it's a vivid picture of thinking, you know, a backpack full of paper medical records. Um, that, I guess, I mean, that that do do you? I mean, that speaks a lot to maybe some of the disconnects in the overall healthcare system. I, I assume he he was getting, um, or you know, he was seeing physicians in in the VA system. Is that right? Well, he was uh, he was actually still. At the time, for most of the, the time when he was going through these health problems, he was still in the um, military care system for active duty people. So he spent a lot of time at Walter Reed Army Medical Center or the Navy National Medical Center uh, to, to d- receive lots of the uh, the tests and treatment. Um, and he he did receive a lot of tests and a lot of treatment, but none of them none of them identified the. Uh, the the extent of of the actual organic problems, which which were really not uncovered until until the uh, the autopsy uh, occurred, um, you know they had uncovered his brain was swollen, he had kidney failure, um, cardio uh, cardiovascular digi- disease and degeneration, just a whole bunch of problems um, that un- unfortunately the the the, the Doctors who cared for him weren't able to 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 uncover, and I understand that um, a lot of times tests that exist can't uncover a, a lot of problems. I think what basically what happened is after he after he passed away uh, in this fashion, my family and I we we uh, we kind of embarked on a quest to try to find out what had caused these these health problems, and that's when we began to see. The statistics um, and the facts coming in about other veterans of the global war on on terror, and that's the war that started after September 11th. So the you know the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that's when we realized that, or we saw that what happened to Tom is not an isolated incident. That uh, you know more than 4,000 veterans have died since returning from deployment in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is almost as many have died during combat. Um, and many, more than half of those have died within two years of discharge. There's all sorts of chronic illnesses and unexplained health problems in veterans returning from this current, this current war or this war that's beginning to wind down. And so, you know, what the reason we, we founded this organization to educate the public about the nature and extent of what is essentially a huge, post-deployment health crisis um, 
and, and to help veterans who are in situations similar to Tom know that they're not actually isolated. And that's that's the thing that the, the tragedy of, of Tom's situation is, is that he thought he was alone. He suffered in isolation. We didn't know what was going on, and we didn't have the facts that we have now. And so uh, the objective here is to, one, we want to educate people about the nature and extent of this of this post-deployment health crisis, that it's severe. Forty-five percent of veterans have chronic fatigue and pain. Fifty-two percent have musculoskeletal issues like back problems and joint pain. Thirty-nine percent have nervous system problems. Over 200 percent, I think USA Today reported, have neurological dysfunctions. There's this the suicide crisis. I mean, these are all related. Some call it post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury. These are all part of the post-deployment health crisis. And we want to educate people about this, but we also want to um, look at the process uh, by which um, veterans are treated in the medical system when they return, that these health problems should be addressed as, as a post-deployment issue. Um, and, you know, we, 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 what, what happened in my brother's situation is, is that the physicians who treated him treated him as if he was a member of the regular population, not, not necessarily someone who had gone to theater and returned with, with health problems. We didn't look at it as a deployment issue. So, no. so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, a part of why I'm sharing this with listeners, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening have friends or family members who have been uh, deployed in Afghanistan or Iraq, um, wh- whether or not they work in um, healthcare. I've got listeners from many different industries, but, you know, hopefully getting the story out there might um, help others recognize, um, as you were saying, that they're not alone, as, as your brother um, felt that he was, and, and maybe help connect them uh, to you or to the Sergeant Sullivan Center. Um, when, when we talk about you know, the, the way your brother was being treated and, and, and the system and everything involved, how much of the difficulty in understanding um, you know, your, your brother's affliction, if, you know, if I understand correctly, he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't wounded, but it was a matter of this illness and, and the impact you know, of, of being there. How, how much of the difficulty was just, um, you know, if you will, unknown medical science versus, you know, disconnects or, or the process or the system of care? Well, you know, I think that's a really, that's a really complicated question. I think it's a good question and it's critical. Um, I, I think there's, there are clearly a lot of unknowns here um, when it comes to medical science and, that's one of the things that, that, that we've learned is how, how uh, medical science does not appear to um, have all of the tools um, that are needed in order to address um, post-deployment health issues. But I think, I think the, when it comes to process, the, the, the disconnect here was that there is a whole lot of research and information available Particularly from the first Persian Gulf War, um, there was uh, there were a lot of veterans, as we all can recall, who came back from that first Persian Gulf War with these mysterious health problems. And as a result, after lots of political discussions and fighting and 
a, you know, government denies this and advocacy groups say this and fight just a lot of, a lot of disagreements, heated disagreements. Um, there, Congress and military passed these rules that, and process to try to create systems to help people who return from combat with mysterious illnesses. There are deployment health centers throughout the country that are specifically dedicated to that issue. There are health protocols um, dedicated to addressing and treating and diagnosing people who return from combat with unexplained and mysterious illnesses as a result of what happened with Persian Gulf War I. Um, the problem is, is that none of the doctors who treated my brother and my brother himself, we as the family, none of us knew that this really, none of us knew about this. We didn't know it existed. We didn't know there was a medically unexplained physical symptoms protocol. Or we didn't know that there were, um, I think, two or three deployment health centers that are specifically supposed to help help test people who come back from combat for a variety of different um, health problems, presumably including exposures to heavy metals, um, exposures to unknown and strange mycoplasmic and other bacteria that exist in Iraq and in the sands in that, in that area that just aren't, aren't here. We just didn't, we didn't, there's, there was a body of knowledge and a body of research that was growing and that existed that we were totally disconnected from. And from talking to Tom's doctors, we, my family and I, we met with all the doctors who treated my brother after his death in, an, in meetings that were arranged for us by the military. So the military was actually kind of helpful in, in arranging for us to have dialogue with the doctors. The doctors and the, the military didn't have... We, we did, they didn't seem to know about the existence of these protocols and, these, and this research based on our discussions. And that, that's, a, that's a problem, especially when we're looking at one of the longest, this is the longest war that America has ever been in, right? So, so is, and, and maybe this is a big part of the Sergeant Sullivan Center, and you know, I'd like to hear you describe the center for the listeners, is a big part of um, what you're doing trying to help um, educate those in, in military leadership um, about these illnesses, and are, are you? Do you feel like you're making progress from the time when your when your brother passed on? Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 I think the central thing that the center can do right now, and why what what we're trying to do is to is to create this dialogue with the military medical establishment and with the the American public. Um, and you know, with a smaller audience to start with, a broader audience at large, to 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 let people know about the existence of of these of these health problems, the existence of these um, of these protocols that are designed to keep people from falling through the cracks in the in the healthcare system, um, so that so that physicians and patients aren't operating in a vacuum of knowledge, and so that the public can get together in order to urge our leaders to dedicate time, the appropriate amount of time and resources that are needed to address this issue. And I, I know we're making progress because I know that the, um, the network of people that we started with, at, in, in the, with as we started this organization, um, I think 
probably at this point is somewhere between 700 to 1,000 people who have been involved now at the in this beginning stage. We started with asking the question, everyone asking the question, are other people suffering in the same way that your brother did, or was this just about Tom? And now, and now the question is, instead of, is this a problem, everyone is beginning to realize and ask the question, how can we solve the problem? Um, because the problem, we now know there's a problem to solve. Yeah. Well, and that does seem like an important step forward, um, awareness of that problem. Um, if you give, I want to get Greg's input on some of this here in a minute, but Dan, if you can talk a little bit more about Sergeant Sullivan Center, there's a documentary, uh, there's an initial part of that video on the website um, at sergeantsullivancenter.org. That's Sergeant SGT, um, sullivancenter.org. Um, if you can tell us about that documentary and some of the main activities that you're involved with now with the center, Dan. Sure. Um, the, yeah, the website is, uh, as, as you mentioned, www.sergeantsullivancenter.org, and that website is the uh, centerpiece, I guess, of our efforts right now to educate the public. Um, and on the website, it's, it's growing now, but um, you, we're going to be, and we do have up there right now, uh, studies and research and summaries of research that, are, that is being done right now on post-deployment health issues that's going to focus on people who have identified possible causes and treatments and, and things like that. Uh, the website also will uh, be a place where veterans and physicians can find the medically unexplained symptoms protocol uh, that governs uh, or, or kind of provides guidelines, at least, for care and diagnosis of, of veterans who present with mysterious or unexplained health problems. Um, the website is also going to have videos uh, that document the human side of the stories of veterans who have returned from theater and are grappling with um, illness um, and post-deployment health problems. We have a few up there right now um, that are about my uh, my brother's situation, uh, but we're expanding now and we're going to uh, provide funding for uh, veterans to start making their own films about this particular issue. Um, we're also sponsoring a symposium uh, for physicians who are working to identify why these health problems are happening. It's a, it's a symposium that's going to be happening in New York at Stony Brook, uh, SUNY in Stony Brook. Um, it's a, a group of physicians, uh, but they're focusing specifically on lung health and the impact of primarily, I think, heavy metal exposure and heavy metal poisoning from the sandstorms in Iraq. But it's, it's going to be one of the first of its kind, a group of doctors getting together and asking, why is this happening? And here are some theories as to, as to what may be causing it. So, you know, the, these, these are some of the, the efforts that, that, that we're taking. And I should mention, since we're going to be switching to Greg, that uh, Greg, uh, uh, Greg was actually uh, is, a, is a member of the board of directors of the center and was one of the uh, a kind of an instrumental figure in uh, helping me and 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 um, the, the family as we worked on developing this this center to de to develop uh, the vision for it, which is um, a, a vision of of positive thinking, 
um, instead of uh, negative thinking. We've identified a problem, but our, our, and we want to educate people about the problem, but our focus, the focus of the center is to work in a collaborative fashion with all the people involved, the military physicians, the mem- members of the public, to try to find productive solutions that are aimed at improving health outcomes for, for veterans. So. And, you know, ter- um, and, and thanks for that description, Dan. Um, so turning to Greg Jacobson, um, if you can talk, you know, from your perspective as a physician, as an emergency room doc, um, what, what some of your reflections are here in terms of um, you know, the, the, the medical situation, the process and system issues, what, what do you think some of the lessons learned are uh, that that you know that we're that you're trying to help drive improvements around? Yeah, let me uh, first. I, I want to just clarify a point that Dan had made about um, when Dan was describing kind of the knowledge that um, his brother Tom and his family obtained, you know, before Tom died, and then the knowledge that was obtained after Tom died. It you almost get the sense that the family wasn't concerned or involved in Tom's health care or Tom didn't take a, a big role in trying to figure out what was going on. And that just couldn't be further than the truth. Um, there was, uh, you know, I mean, aside from knowing Dan personally and knowing, um, you know, how, how involved his family was, including, you know, going with him to almost all of his uh, medical encounters as well as looking for solutions outside of the um, military healthcare system, um, there really was an um, a, an unfortunate body of knowledge that that was discovered after he died that would have been really helpful in a whole bunch of things that you don't learn in medical school, and mostly you don't learn them because people are just starting to do research on them now. So I, I just wanted to clarify that point. Um, and uh, but uh, my real involvement. Um, uh, with with Tom was um, after he died. Um, I I went through all of the medical records and 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 I, I tried to do things like basic things like just explain them to to Dan and and to organize them and um, but also kind of systematically saw an individual who you know left to Iraq in 05 as a really healthy 25, 26-year-old, and, um, and then start to develop a whole bunch of medical problems. That, um, And if you look at any individual encounter that he had, there was a lot of logical you know, ways to deal with that. I mean, Tom, Tom was given access to a whole lot of military health care. Um, I think the, the problem with Tom's care is... Um, the the lack of good processes that are are found in it that I think resulted in um, some some areas not being as good as they could have been. Um, you know, for example, um, I, I don't work in the military healthcare system, but but the fact that you know the, his physicians, you could tell they they it's not like they were ignoring Tom; <laughs> they were really engaging in his care. But the fact that they didn't know that there were you know, protocols for medically unexplained symptoms and, and the fact that, um, you know, we, they have, you know, um, cancer, you know, committees that 
when people, you know, cancer, they, they get presented at committees that are, you know, multidisciplinary committees, committees with oncologists and internal medicine doctors and transplant doctors and whatever relates to their care. Um, you know, the, the type of, in the complexity that Tom had was, um, would have been really much more appropriate for some type of center that was geared to, to deal with this. He was in a center and he was getting care, um, as if he was a healthy 26 year old, 27 year old. Um, and so you just, just, you see the way that the medical chart, um, so, so basic things, just the way the medical chart was laid out. Um, it, the, and I'm getting detailed, but, you know, physicians that know this, you know, there's usually some sort of problem list, um, in that, and, and the problem list that was displayed would have been great for someone that had four or five problems. But, you know, as Tom's, you know, um, medical problems got more complex and as they, as they got redefined by lots of people, the medical problem list just got bigger and bigger to the point that it just, it was completely unusable. To me, that's not an issue of spending more money or people providing bad care. To me, that's just, you know, organizing a problem list better. That's a process issue. It, it sounds um, like there was just a flood of information and a flood of detail. Is that? If, exactly. So you have, because there's so much detail, um, you have a scenario that, you know, a doctor in 2000, you know, a, doc, a doctor that's seeing Tom isn't aware that two years ago, you know, he had a colonoscopy that had objective findings of problems. So because the one from six months ago was normal, you know, a conclusion is made that there was never an objective problem, you know, whereas, you know, just reconfiguring the information to be, you know, more friendly to the person trying to consume it would have led, you know, people that were interacting in his care make much better decisions. Um, and, you know, another, another example I think is really good. And I could, we could talk about this for hours. So I'll just give one other example, um, that it just shows that it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that people weren't trying and it wasn't that, you know, a lot of testing wasn't happening, but if there was just some little process problems that, that could have been done better, for instance, you know, Tom, um, had a same internal medicine doctor for a couple of years and about a month before he died, he switched doctors. And his first encounter with the new doctor was a was a ten minute encounter, and whereas it shouldn't have been a ten minute encounter for someone that has you know such complex issues, that should be you know an encounter that allows that physician to go back through the whole chart and to kind of organize a plan and an approach. Instead, it was treated almost like a medication refill, and um, so those are the types of issues that that I think you know applying things. Um, uh, you know, applying rigorous, you know, Kaizen and lean methodologies to are going to ha- really reap great rewards from the military healthcare system. And so that's, that's where, that's why they asked me to be on the, the board of directors. So, um, one, I, I, I am a physician. And I understand the medical, you know, um, journey that Tom went through and I understand and, 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 and really believe that in order to fix this problem, we, we need to stop a blame culture and we need to start looking at a process um, culture and we need to, you know, not make healthcare about the, you know, people providing the healthcare, but put the patient at the center of the healthcare and create systems that, that really work for the patient instead of, um, you know, work for trying to, you know, make a, you know, 
less money or or whatever the the parameters that you know put patient put put patient care second. Those things you know patient care needs to be first. Um, and so so that's my hope that will help you know the Sergeant Sullivan Center when they when they're interacting with the military healthcare system to to create a scenario that they can understand, look, you know, the center is trying to, to help processes and to help, you know, get better outcomes for, for the, um, you know, for the um, military personnel. Right. Um, I feel like we've, I mean, we've just scratched the surface on the topic. Um, you know, the, the, the website is helpful. The video that's there certainly serves as a, a powerful introduction um, to the issue y'all are dealing with, um, yeah, Dan, are, are there any final thoughts that that you would share, either based on what Greg added, or, or just to um, you know to, to help wrap things up and and hopefully help move your story and everything you're the the Sergeant Sullivan Center is working for forward. Sure. No, I, I was just thinking as Greg was talking. Um, every time uh, Greg reflects on. The situation and his uh, analysis of what happened with Tom, I feel as though I learned something about how we can uh, work together to um, to to make recommendations for improvement in the in the healthcare system, particularly the military healthcare system. In this in this case, I mean, it's just it's it's reassuring to to see uh, that with um, problem with thinking that's focused on problem solving. Um, you know, some of the some of these issues that that led to my brother's death, it could be pretty easily corrected. Um, and it's kind, you know, it's it's good to know that there are positive steps to take from here, um, and it's good to see the the message begin to take form. And uh, I feel like like that that's happening right now in this podcast and that that's a, that's a positive step. So I'm just grateful that we had this opportunity to, um, to have this discussion because it just takes us another step uh, further in the right direction. So I appreciate it. Well, I, I hope it does help even in a little way, move things forward. Um, I, I appreciate and respect, um, you know, as you had said, um, your efforts to use the center to move things in a positive direction. I mean, it's always, um, uh, you know, when you see similar situations, I, I think of a previous podcast guest, um, Sorel King, who lost her um, very young daughter at Johns Hopkins due to, um, you know, some system problems in healthcare. You know, she turned from a phase of being understandably, of course, very angry about little Josie King's death and, and helping turn that into you know, a broader, uh, you know, I think I've a fairly successful movement um, around patient safety and quality improvement in healthcare. And so um, as, as much as, you know, the loss of your brothers, um, you know, so, uh, that's, I, I, there aren't words to, to express how, um, uh, how, how, you know, sad and uh, unfortunate that is, but, um, you know, to, to try to make something positive out of that to help others who have served and may currently be facing, you know, similar health problems. Um, you know, I want to thank you for doing that. Thank you. And, uh, I, I know that, uh, I know that we're going to have a positive impact and this is the beginning. Thanks. Okay. Well, Dan, um, thanks again for taking time to talk today, um, with us here on the podcast. Thank you. And Greg, thanks also for, um, taking part and sharing your perspective. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. 
For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.